Hey, you're listening to Just Say the Word. I'm your host, Erin Sanchez, and this is a storytelling podcast. In every episode, you'll hear a story from me or my guests from around the world. Then we'll encapsulate a key lesson from that story in just one word you can apply in your own life or business. If you're an entrepreneur looking to get inspired and make your mark on the world, you're in the right place. Your story is your legacy, and I want to help you tell it better. Visit candidlyerin.com for more writing, communications, and personal branding advice. Welcome back to today's episode. I'm super excited to have a special guest today, Talia Toha. Talia is an advisor to multi-industry seven-figure national brands like the U.S.'s fifth largest restaurant group and LeBron James's endorsed Blaze Pizza. Um, Talia also helps skilled entrepreneurs and new business owners reach out to prospective business collaborators, clients, and their audience in a more authentic and timeless way. She's currently launching a website and podcast to share some powerful techniques for getting in front of the right people the right way. And um, just as an example, she loves to share how people can stand out um, when answering a question that you don't know the answer to in a job interview or a client interview. So, wow, Talia, I'm super excited to have you on and have you share some of these tips with um, my audience. Erin, happy to be here. Um, So tell me, so we chatted, we've actually chatted a bit before, and um, we'll get into more of the the business stuff in a little while, as you know, but I'm fascinated by your sort of personal journey and story and how that plays into everything. So tell me, um, you immigrated here from Indonesia, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that journey. Like, how old were you? What was sort of the impetus for coming um, to the States? And yeah, just all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for asking that, Erin. So it actually, and it's funny because I haven't really talked about this in a long time to anybody, really. So I'm glad um, this is kind of a nice jog down memory, memory road here. Yeah. And so it was probably, I was about 15 or so. I was, I've grown up in Indonesia all my life. And right around when I was in high school, just entering high school, the political situation in Indonesia got really, really bad. And I won't get into the details of what what's happening there, but essentially me, myself, and my family, and a lot of people who I know, we're in a specific target demographic for basically rioting, pillaging, raping, and burning. And it just got escalated really, really quickly. I remember a time actually when I was uh, just, I, I just came back from school and, you know, my parents came in and essentially told us that, you know, things are not going to be the same anymore. And, you know, they just come in and they say, we might have to make some changes in our lives. And the weeks following that day, I remember my dad went to, you know, neighborhood watch and wouldn't come home for a couple of nights and it was just becoming really, really real because the entire time, and we always knew that there's an underlying issue in politically where we live, but it just never became real until about then, right? So anyway, so what happened was the riot kept moving from one neighborhood to another, targeted neighborhoods, and really just killing people, right? And And we were supposed to be Uh, part of the last stop. And so for days, they would go around the city and go to certain areas of town and, and do damage. So we were really waiting for our, 
you know, our, t- our turn, our time. And we were just preparing for what do we do if this happens? We're preparing our passports. My parents were looking into, okay, how do we, what do we do next? Obviously we were out of school. There was no school at that point, even though we were in the middle of the school year, nobody went out, right? And all of the only connection that we have to, you know, the outside world at that point was really, you know, TV, right? And the newsfeed didn't really show much because there's just not a lot of people out in the street. So it was just really a vague, confusing, and tense time with, you know, with, uh, certainly for our family because we just didn't know what ha- what's going to happen. And, uh, but it's funny because, you know, someone must be watching over us because when we were actually, and there's, it's, it's almost like we heard from the word from the street when we're going to get hit. And, but it's funny how it never actually got to us. Almost every neighborhood and every part of town that they target got hit and got damaged and burned and overturned, but somehow we didn't. And I was, I just remember very clearly at that, that time that this was, you know, I, this wasn't supposed to happen. Right. And it was kind of that survival instinct where you go, huh, is this the end of it? Is it not? But anyway, so just fast forward a little bit, my parents decided after months following that, you know, that event, that they're going to essentially send us to, to the States and for school and just kind of finish high school in the States, which was, I think looking, I think now it probably didn't look like it was too big of a deal, but at that time, it was obviously a very difficult decision, just not just for my parents, but also for us, uh, me and my sister, and by us, I mean me and my sisters, for us to kind of go, okay, it's time to really get serious about our life and just really just take on whatever situation that was presented in front of us. And I remember talking to my sister about this and because my parents, you know, they gave us the option to stay behind and with obviously with everybody having realized that if we stay behind, we might never finish school. We don't know what kind of situations we'll be faced in the next couple, you know, few years. We might not be able to continue to college because our school is delayed, right? We don't know the state of our education, who's, which of the teachers will be back. So there were just a lot of questions. And my parents, even though it was a difficult decision, they still obviously gave us that opportunity to make a decision and gave us the um, the kind of not so much the executive decision, but just kind of that the options for okay, you can stay behind, but know that this might be you know this might be your life for the next few years, or you can move forward and go to the states and uh, and start a new life. Which my sister and I, for whatever reason, I mean, we we chose the new life, and. I I couldn't remember much about how I gauged my emotions at that time because I think it was just so much was going on so quickly that I I before I knew it I was in the states I was in a boarding school because my parents couldn't move because they have work to do and they have jobs that tie them down to Indonesia and obviously they're not citizens there so it would just become more complicated and thankfully we're blessed with the means to be able to go to school in the states a lot of people that we no, don't right, and they just um, they they had to pick up the pieces in their lives. So that was also another. That's another story for another day, as far as how my experience was in high school, not knowing how to learn, not knowing too much English, and not knowing really the culture, and it was just a lot of 
things that were happening at the same time. So the transition, I think, happened for a couple of years when I was just so unhappy and just so, uh, I guess, dissatisfied with where I was because I, my thinking was, well, I have to be here because there's really, this is really the best thing for me, but I don't like it, you know. Um, but you know, cut to senior year and things got progressively easier with time and with as I mature and as I get kind of a better understanding of people around me and people that I now call family and eventually led me to college in kind of the, you know, New York, New Jersey area. And yeah, and then I met my husband and some of my still now really great friends in college and um, and yeah, just kind of started working to, to this point. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is, so I, I, one of the things that like really stood out to me is, and I, I don't mean this, you know, I hope it doesn't sound bad. It's not, I mean at all, but it, you know, you, you and your family, you took such a pragmatic approach to like, okay, so, you know, do you want to stay? Do you want to go kind of like weighing your options? And I'm curious, like if fear played, I mean, like for me, knowing myself, my decisions, I, I do like to base things in like logic and weigh the pros and cons, but also I feel like in the situation you were in would be so emotionally driven. Like, were there, like, was there a fear that okay, this is what's been happening all around us. I mean, that was an incredible story you shared. Were you afraid that like that could happen again? Or were you really just, I, I mean, how kind of walk me through like what maybe that side of like what into went into making the decision or was it really just very, you know, a pragmatic approach? Yeah, absolutely. And it it is, it was more than just safety. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm glad that you brought that up because what we knew at that time was, okay, this was bad. This is bad. Mm -hmm. But what we didn't know was, okay, well, how long will it be this bad? Right. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I went to the States or I came to the States and started going to school here, coming to school here, I just didn't know when I can go home again. You know, I didn't know. I mean, we have, um, you know, we have the financials to go home, but we just didn't know whether, we were able to go home, you know, whether it's going to be barricaded, whether my parents have to go somewhere else, right? So it was just, there's, there's so many questions. And I remember that emotionally, I think I felt like, I felt like it was okay, because it was necessary, but it was, it was really rushed. And I was kind of rushing two years ahead, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I, I was almost prepared mentally to just go anywhere after high school, Mm. um, including a place 2000 miles on the other side of the world, but I wasn't really prepared physically at that point um, to do that at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think emotionally, the more difficult thing for me was probably just seeing my parents go through it. Mm. You know, I think as when you're just kids, I guess you do theoretically understand some of the repercussions, the possible repercussions and what that means for your life. But you're, I I think you are primed. And this is a good thing about human being is that you're primed to kind of look ahead and look forward, particularly when you're that young, right? You kind of almost 
yes, it's a, it's a terrible situation, but you're you're curious to know, okay, well, can I do this? Like, what's what's it like to go to that school, and what you know, what kind of experiences will I have? And I think my parents had did a really good job about really balancing the the negative aspect of what prompted that situation with the positive aspects of what we can gain, what we can learn, and what that might mean for for my future, which is really just. And I thank I thank them so much for that. But I do realize that I think the more difficult part of that is is watching my parents go through it because I can tell that it wasn't difficult. That it, that it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because I mean, to the point that I remember my my dad refused to take us to the airport. Oh um, my gosh! Because he just couldn't deal with it. He just yeah. couldn't. Yeah, it was just too hard. So my mom had to do it, which which you know I'm I'm thankful that she was able to do it. But I think it was just too hard because oh, it yeah. was a surprise for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so with anything that you're surprised with, big or small, I think it's always a shock. But the great news is that you do learn and you do adapt. And I think because of that experience, some of the things that I learned managing not just my mindset, but also my inner monologue during those early years when I was just in high school really, really helped um, with, uh, with what I do now as far as business and dealing with entrepreneurs who are just needing just a little shifts here and there. And it really does make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have so many questions about, which is like a whole different podcast, but I was like, I have so many questions for you. Um, but I do want to ask one other, because you have one sister that came over with you, is that right? Or- yeah, so I have, my twin sister came with me. Oh, wow, twin. Me, right, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, she came with, uh, with me because we, I think at that point we were a sophomore, we were just entering sophomore year. And my older sister, so I have two sisters, my older sister, she would have been entering senior year and she just didn't want to, I mean, that's her last year, right? Right. So she almost preferred to just finish then and there even, and just deal with the risk of, you know, the safety and all that and, um, and not, and, and worry about that later. I think either way, I think it would have been a, a good decision because, you're you are who you are right now because because of all of the experiences that you've had right so whether it's Absolutely. good or bad and and it's not really anything that you did or didn't do that that you would necessarily regret it's just certain things again even if it's bad i think particularly if it's bad um will actually perform you know certain strengths and and really create that that um that person that that you are right now yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and actually, I I have this passion project book that you know I've been putting together because it is a passion project. I'm like, oh, there's no deadline on this, so it's just kind of ongoing. But it's kind of around that same that same idea of stories of, you know, it's it's not you know, despite my history that I've accomplished the, these things, it's because of you know. And so, exactly. yeah, I yeah. love that. Um, 
so tell me then, so, so when you came here to go to high school, thankfully you and your sister had each other. Um, that just, I can't wrap my head around what that would be like, not, not knowing English, going into school. Where did you guys, um, or you ladies, go to school? Because you ended up working in the, the um, New York, D.C. area, you said? So where are yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were in the, still in the Northeast. Mm, okay. um, you know, we were in, in Connecticut. I think there were mm. quite, because my parents couldn't come with us, we had to look, we had to find a boarding school essentially that um that for us to kind of room and board there right because we didn't you know we didn't know anybody there we didn't have family um obviously they couldn't buy a house there because it just didn't make sense um so that was really the only solution that we had and even though it was i didn't particularly enjoy the boarding school experience because my entire life i've always been in public schools and schools that are really really big and i uh really enjoyed that size and then transitioning into Connecticut, it was, A, we didn't usually have that many trees, you know, and B, it was a lot of nature that I wasn't used to that now I love, but back then I was just kind of, what is going on? <laughs> right. And then, and then again, the culture of, uh, I think is particularly those years, those teenage years, right? Um, everybody around you are, have their own preferences and are doing certain things that, again, for me, I just, couldn't relate to, you know, and it was just so difficult because I felt like I had to almost change my personality and enable uh, in order to be able to, I guess, make sense of what they're doing and what I'm trying to do with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, so, so yeah, but that, that was, again, I think those are, and it's funny, I love, I love that you connected it to your, you know, your relating to how, it's really some of the worst experience that you've had that actually now make you the strongest. I think that's absolutely true. And again, even in some of this, even in our work, right? Like what we do, I, I mean, I can't imagine all of us immediately enjoying doing work when we were little, right? And I bet you we had, we'd gone through some tamper tantrums, maybe with our parents, maybe we went through some, you know, some visits to the principal's office that were a little unpleasant or, you know, whatever it is. But now it's just, it's almost like you're just creating this habit of being able to look at adversity. And in in my case, then unrest, right? Political unrest that you then take and you go, okay, what do I want to do with this? And sometimes you look at the options that you, that are presented in front of you and you do realize that, well, I can either try to change my situation, which you can do to a certain degree, but a lot of times you can't, or you, you do certain things within your power to make it work, right? And 100% of the time, I find that it works. It's easier for me to look at myself and go, okay, what do I need to do to be able to get to that point? Like, how can I you know, change this difficult situation and really make it, you know, optimize it to something that I love, that that I learned to love, and that I eventually became good at. Um, and I think it was just that learning process and mental check that um, that I think is really crucial for for um, you know whatever the, what what we look at right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. And, and, you know, I just want to pull at that word unrest, because 
Um, so unrest is a feeling of disturbance or and dissatisfaction in a person or group. And, you know, we were talking about political unrest, but then, as you said, it, you know, it can be at that personal level too. And I think, you know, in entrepreneurship, there's always, um, you know, periods of that. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. We've all seen that meme where it's like, you know, I'm the best, I'm on top of the world. And then, you know, the next day you're like, wait, I suck and I can't do anything right. And, and so I think it's so applicable in, in that way. So tell me, you know, um, what were some of the, the sort of periods of unrest that you've had in your, in your business journey? And maybe even, maybe even back up and, and kind of tell me like, um, a little bit about what you did in corporate and, and, um, then moving into what you do now. And I guess just give, give our audience like a, an idea of kind of where you've been and where you're going. And then we can revisit that, uh, that question. Yeah, absolutely. So after school, right after college and everything, I've always been in the construction industry. I've actually spent my earlier career, I would say in architecture. And then I worked with a developer, a multifamily developer, and did some financial analysis with them. So it was really corporate America that led me to what I'm doing right now, which is being an advisor to national brands and retailers and restaurants. And what I found interesting is that I, all of this happened organically. I didn't really plan all of the steps that I did. I just kind of planned for how do I want to respond to this particular problem or set of goals or, you know, the destination that I want to be um, uh, going to this particular time. So it was very granular um, mm -hmm. that, that uh, as far as processing, which just led me to all of these other um, uh, goals and achievements that I didn't even expect and I'm blessed to have. And I think what's interesting is that as far as unrest and, and business is concerned, I've never been, I mean, I'm like a small little Asian girl. So being in the <laughs> construction industry is A, really weird. Um, and, and B, it was just so unnatural. You know, I yeah. just, I was not a leader. I was not I didn't, I didn't speak well. I couldn't, I couldn't even string, you know, proper English together at some <laughs> point, but just being able to step up to the plate and say, okay, how do I make the smallest change possible with what I have? And, and then just kind of keep going and going and going. And even to this day, I think only a few years ago, I, you know, I didn't come from sales. I didn't come from marketing. I didn't know how to network. I'm an, an extreme introvert. And I just felt so out of place all the time in this environment of really successful, you know, corporate individuals that are, they have achievement lists that looks like, you know, the, your longest laundry list. So it all just felt, I, I became kind of uh, accustomed to um, looking at things in a way that was accepting of things that are not natural to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I just go, okay, well, this is weird, but that doesn't mean that it's not, I can't achieve it. And it's just a matter of muscle training and figuring out how to, um, how to kind of look at the obstacle as something that you can work around or something that you can proceed with confidence. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. And and although and this is what I love about about this podcast is I, I get to talk to all these people who have 
incredibly different backgrounds and struggles, and yet we can all relate on some, there's always relatability. And so for me, like I, I didn't come, you know, I didn't, um, come to this country, uh, you know, in the same circumstances as you. Um, certainly I'm an immigrant to this country, but like I was, you know, multiple generations down, you know, back. Um, but I did grow up in an economically depressed area. I grew up in poverty. I grew up with, you know, um, substance abuse in the family and, and all of these different things that made me, you know, go into college and then the business world into corporate America and all that really looking at myself, like, who are you, like, how, you don't belong here. Who are you to, you know, to try to be part of this world? And it took a really long time for me to sort of break that programming of thinking um, all these people with all these accomplishments and every, you know, all these different um, backgrounds that they're, they're not better than me. They're different than me. And I can use my experiences and my unique background to, you know, do things a different way and still be successful. So I love that you shared that story. Yeah. And I think what's, what, what's interesting that you touched upon Aaron there is that I think a lot of people felt like they have to be that person that they want to be right then and there really because of, you know, the function of seeing all of the successes around us and, you know, with, with our access to basically the entire world right now, it just always feels like you're behind. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs right now, what we're starting to realize is that your present day right now is really uh, a result of where you were before, but also a part of that future that you're going to build. So you're at that intersection, the, the overlap of that Venn diagram, right? That is you before and you after. And I think that is probably one of the reasons why a lot of entrepreneurs often feel conflicted, maybe fearful, maybe you know, unmotivated because they felt that pull from where they didn't, they don't want to be, but they also felt the pull towards the light, right? Where they really, that's the success that I want to achieve. Um, and so that tension really created sometimes a lot of, some conflict in, in each of our mind and each of our uh, scripts, essentially, right? That um, a lot of people are able to recognize and say, oh, actually, this is good. This is good that I want to get pulled towards something better. But a lot of people only recognize the the backward pull. Yeah, no, that's a great way of looking at it. I love the Venn. I'm a very visual person. So the Venn diagram way of thinking about it is really helpful. Um, so, so tell me, because you're you talk about all of this with such authority and such passion. And is this part of what you'll be doing, um, so you, you are launching a website and your podcast. Tell me a little bit about sort of your goals there. Is it really closely aligned with what you do as an advisor to big brands, or are you going to start working with entrepreneurs? Kind of tell us where your journey's taking you. Yeah. So this new um, you know, website and new podcast that I'm launching, it's basically sharing some of the lessons that I learned working with those big corporations, B2B, when I was in the B2B and B2C role. Obviously, that's, a, that's done completely differently, as you would know. But particularly for solo entrepreneurs, I think, again, organically having worked with all of these different organizations, I just I start to encounter individuals who want to start their own businesses and having great ideas and obviously really skilled at uh, in what they do, 
but just missing just a couple of little ingredients that, um, you know, that to, to get them there. And it's really, for me anyway, it's, it's just so unfortunate to see talents dissipate and talents disappear just because they didn't have one or two more ingredients, just little things, simple things, right? Um, like for, for instance, for you, it's copywriting, for instance. And it's just like little things that for maybe for you and me, it's a natural and it's something that we've learned over the course of the years that we can then share uh, with the audience and also learn from other entrepreneurs as well that, you know, that, uh, that we'll be bringing on, on the show. Now, specifically, what I find in my as an advisor to all of these different brands, uh, I find that a lot of people, what's keeping them from reaching certain goals and certain successes is really that, essentially that, um, that intersection between them and their other, their business collaborators or their audience, right? And it's just, okay, how do I get from point A myself and deliver my message effectively to point B? And, you know, and whether it's lead generation or, you know, platforms, there's always, uh, there's always a bridge that needs to be um, improved. And I think for me, I actually, the, the successes that I've had ga gaining all of these wonderful, wonderful brands, it's not because I'm, you know, particularly special or, or gifted in a particular way. It's just that I was able to, through a course of trials and errors for sure, I was able to figure out, okay, these are the more authentic way to do this. This is more timeless. This would help them, um, you know, achieve and stand out really, right? Like, I think you mentioned in the intro earlier that, um, you know, I, I love actually when somebody comes up to me and say, hey, Talia, I have this job interview that's coming up and I'm just, I just need a couple of pointers, right? Or a client interview, for instance, I just need a couple of pointers. And let's just say that they just started, but they have, um, they have a good amount of skills that they've already developed. Um, and then they, they would go, okay, well, what if the questions that were asked is something that I don't know how to answer, right? And a lot of interviewees, <laughs> you know, step into the room and they would either A, say, just say, I don't know, or B, say, well, this and that, and they start to fake it and just try to make some flowery languages uh, around that answer, which neither of the two is really ideal, right? Because, because the, the interviewee or interviewer, I should say, already knows when you know the answer, right? By, yeah. your <laughs> By totally. the answers that you give. Yes. So you might as well tell the truth. But the question is, okay, so how do you tell the truth in a way that still presents confidence and B, want, make them want to work with you immediately. So again, through trials and errors and just kind of by virtue of watching a lot of C-level executives um, around me in my role, um, I realized that you have to essentially reframe it with two strengths. Okay. You, you reframe your answer with first, you open up with your first strength by reminding them what your specific specialty is, maybe a project that you've been focused on. And then you say, and I haven't had the chance to work on X, right? That issue that they're asking, which is the truth. And then you close it with another strength, which is an exhibition of your capability and your willingness to be an extra mile performer by asking them or saying, 
but I'd love to look into it some more. What about it do you find challenging, right? So, so basically what that might look like, for example, if somebody says, hey, Aaron, about copywriting, curious to know if, you know, what's kind of the best classical historical copywriting that you would recommend. And let's just say that that's not, I mean, you're good at copywriting, but let's just say that you haven't actually been reading classical copywriting books or, you know, timeless books, for instance, then you could say, well, that's a great question. I've been so focused actually on improving this initiative and that project and actually increasing that client's revenue by 80%. Um, so I haven't actually had much of a chance in this past couple of years to look into that particular, um, you know, aspect of the copywriting theory. But I'd love to look into it some more. What about some of the classics do you want to learn or do you want me to look into, right? And actually following up with information in the weeks to come. That what you're doing there is basically you're just bridging and making it convenient for for um, the person that you're interacting with to, to start with your strong point and acknowledge that, okay, that's not your specialty, and then closing it with an open-ended conversation that, um, that will make you go into the next steps. That is such a fantastic approach because it gives people a formula for lack of a better, you know, a description. And, and I mentioned to you before, before we were, we were recording is I think very much in like frameworks and strategies and like, how can I just like fill in the blanks and that helps to guide me. And I think even if you're not a, you know, strategy minded person necessarily, that having those frameworks to just fill in is, is such a great approach. And I, as you're explaining that, that method, um, I was thinking, you know, that's kind of how I've learned to do things, but it took years of terrible interviews, terrible client conversations, right. you know, to get to that point where you're like, well, how do I just make myself look, you know, like in a really good light, uh, you know, put myself in a really good light, but not look like I'm trying to, cause I don't believe in, you know, faking it till you make it in that way, because it's going to be very transparent. It's going to be really clear to the interviewer or the client. So, wow, kudos to you for kind of, um, you know, creating a formula for people to follow and, and get more clients or get the next job or whatever it is they're after. Yeah, and I think the um, a lot of people who use this framework uh, loved it, except the things that they that uh, they they didn't do that they should have with this, this framework. With this framework is the actual follow up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm sure you've heard this as well. When you follow up uh, before or after the interview, you don't just go, "Hey, following up. Hey, checking in." <laughs> you actually provide some useful information from your previous interaction with them, right? So when we had that open-ended question at the end to close that, um, your I don't know, that you actually do need to go into, let's just say that the interviewer say, oh yeah, actually, if you don't mind looking into so-and-so book and just kind of give a quick summary, you actually do it, right? And that's, it. and it's almost like, um, and you can kind of zoom out a little bit from that framework and treat your whole interaction from start to finish with that client or company or whatever, um, the minute you have your first treated, 
like the strengths to strength strategy in that you open up as if you already have the job with lots of great information and then you continue at the end and bookend them with more information as if you already got the job and i guarantee you 80% of the time you're maybe even higher 90% you're going to stand out like they're like oh my god this is amazing right mm-hmm. um so and that's a way to stand out and to have an edge over people who are more experienced than you people who have better resumes but didn't have the time to follow up properly right, right. a lot of times you you're you're going okay well i'm just starting out i don't have all of these um testimonials right i don't have like a long list of success stories like you're there to support them um, with uh, with those two uh, confidence levels at the beginning and at the end that continues and perpetuates onward. Yeah, no, that's great. So um, I I think that's it, what you said about zooming out and kind of applying to the the framework to the interview or the interaction as a whole and not just at that micro level with with each you know question or whatever they may be asking in the interview is super important because, you know, one of the things that surprises me that people don't do is follow up. Even if, I mean, and following up with the way you're saying is super powerful, but even just a follow up to say, hey, thank you. You know, I really, really appreciated meeting you or whatever is so often overlooked. um, And I just find that to be crazy. Do you see that um, often as well, that people just don't even think to follow up at all? A hundred percent. Well, and it's funny because I think I want to say that 75% of the population don't follow up and they would Mm -hmm. just assume you can't get like, I think in this, in the interaction that you have or you're trying to have with your clients or potential businesses, it's a dance, right? You can't just let them stand on the dance floor cold and just saying, okay, you follow up with me. Okay. I'm just going to stand on the side of the gym, you know, door there and you just come to me. You can't do that. Right. You have to continually engage. And, and it's like, it's just like making friends. You always have just little things here and there. And usually if you, if you send emails or, or make calls where it's not just, Hey, I'm just following up. What's your answer? for like, am I in or am I out that, you know, that's not really the way to build a relationship, right? Like, mm-hmm. And and keep in mind when you're interacting with them, um, let's say again, during that job interview, they're giving you solid gold of information of things that maybe that are happening in their organization that they need help with and, you know, things that are still lacking and there's a void there. And even if it's not in your particular subject matter expertise, let's just say that they say, okay, well, we have a lot of turnaround for whatever reason, Aaron, and um, I know you're a copywriter, so, but yeah, it's just weird that people keep coming in and out. And maybe you provide them with help in, um, you know, reaching out to people who have left and just getting one or two pointers on, okay, reasons or whatever it is. Let's just say you're in HR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you give that, hand it over to the HR person, copy the top CEO level guy. And immediately they're like, dude, this is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. like this is amazing. Um, and even just simplest things like that, because people care when you care, right? And you know right. this because you're in the coaching business. They care for, they care that you will get them to where they want to uh, go. So the more in the interview, the more you think about what they need and less about what you need, the better off you are. 
Yeah. It, yeah, totally. Just saying like, I'm an asset to you. I'm an asset to you in so many ways that I can even, you know, take the initiative to go dig around a little bit in something that's maybe outside of my wheelhouse. That's such great advice, Talia. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because a lot of these th simple things, they they don't even take us too long. You know, mm -hmm. it probably take us like 10, 20, 30 minutes. And if you want to go deeper, another hour or so, you know, and just to stand out. And I think as far as following up timeline wise, a lot of people wait too long or a lot of people do it too frequently. Mm -hmm. And again, just think of it as a relationship that you're just trying to build um, in that you don't want to kind of ping them, you know, twice <laughs> a day with, with little questions here and there, they're busy guys. Right. Yeah. So, um, so you want to kind of, usually I have a two to three day follow up from the initial con from the initial uh, meeting or maybe a call, right. Um, or touch. And then after that two days, then you want to do like one week, and, you know, just kind of play around with that a little bit, uh, obviously, that they're because they're busy. Mm -hmm. And again, with your touch, uh, make sure that the email is as concise, but as solid gold as it can be. Because I think a lot of executives, and I see this with, again, with seven, eight figure um, businesses that I, I work with, they are so busy. So when we send them all of these emails that show them that we're doing the work, sometimes it can get ag aggravating for them, mm -hmm. you know, to the point that they're just going to ignore it because it right. just keeps coming and they all come in not a deep amount of deep enough amount of value, you know? Right. Um, so after one, two, if you don't give them enough information in the one or two, three touch, they can ignore you, you know? So you have to make sure that your, your follow-up emails are one touch, you know, have hyperlinks, obviously. Bullet points is great. And if you have even more information or research, put a Dropbox on it and just say, hey, if you want more information on this, here's the link, right? That way, everything, they don't have to keep scrolling down until, until they, you know, until they lose their, their heads. Right. <laughs> um, so those are some of the, the best follow-up uh, methods that I've seen. Oh, I love that. I, I, it's so funny you used the, you talk about, you know, building the relationship and earlier you referred to it as a dance. And that made me think of our earlier conversation um, on your podcast, actually about copywriting. And we were talking about how you kind of, you know, keep rehooking people as you go down the page. And in a recent social media post, I described it as a dance, right? It's like, let's, let's come back to that and like have another engagement and you're continuing to build the relationship. So I don't really have um, necessarily like a point to, but I just think it's, it's so yeah. interesting that everything we're doing, whether it's copywriting or interviewing, following up, all of that, you know, think about how you can keep a relationship going in a really intentional way. And like you said, the, um, the follow-up and, and, and the interview and all of that, it really is an art. And I'm so glad that you are helping people to, to learn that art. It's so, so valuable. Yeah. And I think um, it's so easy to get jaded to your point there, Erin, especially when we live now in so much, uh, with so much social media and emails, I think we often forget to get outside of that screen and really think about, gosh, maybe like hundreds of years, millennials worth of um, tested and tried methods of relationship building and business, quite honestly, if you don't understand people and uh, you don't understand relationships, you don't understand business, right? Mm -hmm. 
you, you know, a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I just want to do what I do. Great. But, you know, people who need your message need to hear it, but they won't be able to hear it unless you get to the right people, the right places and the right platforms in a powerful way. The better you, you are at getting to those places, the, the more likely that you'll be able to make an impact and change um, the way that you want to change. Yeah, no, that's just what a wonderful, um, you know, way to kind of drive the point home. And I think that people are going to get so much value out of what you've shared here today, but I know there's so much more that they can get from you. And I mean, cause we've just barely, you know, um, touched the tip of the iceberg. So where can people find you and potentially, you know, work with you later on or check out the podcast? Tell me all your, um, your online presence locations. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, you know, giving um, that, uh, pointing that out to the audience. So um, I, so the site is currently under redevelopment, but maybe once this uh, podcast launches, it'll be up and running. So just go ahead and Google the URL, taliatohagroup.com. So that's T-H-A-L-I-A. T-O-H-A group.com and it'll take you to the right places and the podcast will be there and um, all of the episodes. And uh, yeah, I would love to kind of hear about some of your challenges. I think your audience's challenges on, um, you know, reaching out the right way to, and in a timeless, authentic way to the right people. Great. And I'll make sure to put that URL in the show notes. And if when this episode goes live, it's still under construction, I'll just make sure to um, mention that so people know to keep an eye on that space. But it's been wonderful having you on, Talia. I hope that let's stay in touch because um, with so many of my guests, of course, I'm like, oh, they're, you know, like I said, we've just barely scratched the surface. And I think there's so much more. So, you know, maybe someday we can have you back on for round two. I'd love it. Absolutely. We'd love to be back, Erin. Cool. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. Thanks, Erin. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you want to learn better branding and communication skills or more about this podcast, please visit www.candidlyerin.com or just say the word podcast.com. You can also find me everywhere on social media at candidlyerin. And make sure to use the hashtag just say the word in your social media posts so I can see your stories of resilience, transformation, and lessons learned because your story matters. Remember, your story is your legacy. Everybody has a story and the world should hear yours.